You're listening to Faith Community Church's weekly podcast. We hope this week's message from God is insightful and an inspiration to you. So let's pray. God, we thank you that you are more than willing to, con- to describe yourself as father. But there's also places like in the Psalms where you say, I am a mothering hen to my people Israel. This idea of you taking your people under your wing and being nurturing like mom. And so, God, today we, we do want to uh, celebrate and remember the moms in our midst. And some, some are, are moms by having given birth. Some are moms by adoption. Some are moms by just the nurturing and the commitment they make and the relationships that they have in their lives. And they're all a blessing, a profound blessing. Thank you from the bottom of our hearts for these people in our community. We also thank you that Micah is resting comfortably at Stanford today. We ask your special ministry to his mom, Heather, today for what she's had to go through these last few days. And um, God, this morning, meet with us as we look at your word and try to understand what does it mean for our lives, particularly as we look again and we look closer at Jesus. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, with that, I want you to turn in your Bibles. I'm going to invite my friend Jason Jones to come up, and I'm going to, for Jason, raise this music stand this tall. Um, and he's going to read John chapter 5, verses 1 through 18. And um, he's got a nice low voice, so he's, he's a better reader than me. <laughs> so he's going to read God's word today. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this, great, had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. So, because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. John 5, 1 through 18. Thank you, Jason. This is the word of God. And um, there's, a, um, there's a doctor. His name is uh, Dr. Michael Lohr, and he, uh, he works at a place that's called the Human Performance Institute in Florida. Um, yeah, they actually have a performance institute in Florida. Interesting state to put it in, huh? And, um, and, and in the, at the Human Performance Institute, they, what they do is they work with 
top Fortune 500 executives, as well as they work with the leading athletes, world-class athletes, Olympic athletes, you know, professional athletes and stuff. And their whole thing is to try to help these human beings who can afford their services to become the most whole, effective human beings possible in their lives. And he, he wrote a book years ago. In fact, your husband, Mo, turned me on to that book. And, and, and in it, Dr. Michael Lohr makes this really fundamental observation. It's an, it's an important one. I've shared it here before, and that is this. He says, the most important story you will ever tell is the story that you are constantly telling to yourself. Let me illustrate what he is talking about from my own life. Maybe it started because I'm the second kid of three kids. So that means... I wasn't the firstborn kid, and I wasn't the baby. I was just second. It continued in school where I was good, but I was not a great student. And then it followed me out onto the schoolyard where I can't, I honestly can't. I was trying to think about it this week. I cannot, I don't have a memory of ever being picked first for a team or sport, but I also don't remember honestly ever being picked last either. When I played soccer in high school and in early college, I, I worked my tail off to be better than good. But uh, let's just say my coaches made it pretty clear they only considered me good. When my band, my first band, played in the East Bay Battle of the Bands, and my gosh, there were so many big hair heavy metal bands in the 80s. Everywhere. Everybody was the big year. Big, I was not. I had a mullet, so don't worry about me. And so in the East Bay Battle of the Bands, we didn't win. And we also didn't get the worst score. We just did okay. When I started to get serious about trying to find someone to spend my life with, all the, the dates that I had, were really nice, kind to me, and they made it very clear that they thought I was a really, really nice guy. And they really liked me as a person, but, you know, that but. And over time, I developed a strong internal, a, a name for myself and a narrative for myself. And my internal name over time, it became Average, Andy Average. That was my name. And my internal narrative, it changed on different days, but it became some sort of version of, I am average, what I do is average, my life is average. That was my narrative. And I got to tell you, it is scary how easy it was for me to develop a hyper-focus on negative events in my life, my failures, my losses, the hurts in my life, and then to take them and then overly magnify those negatives to create a compelling and very convincing, although not really all that accurate, but a compelling and a convincing story that I was telling myself and constantly rewriting and refining about God, about myself, and about my life. Why? Because the most important story you will ever tell yourself is the one you're constantly saying and repeating to yourself. Here's what I know. Because you're human like me, you have the same tendencies. All of us here in this room, everybody listening online, we all have the same tendencies. If we don't catch it, 
And some of us here who are listening in worship today, you've maybe, even up to this point in your life, you have not caught it. If you don't catch it, and we don't apply ourselves to the work of shining the antiseptic power of light onto the stinking, thinking name you've developed for yourself, or the stinking, thinking narrative that comes from that name, if you don't put the light on it, we all can very easily become people who almost rep repetitively, we put hyper-focus on negatives. Does this relate to you? A hyper-focus on negatives where you can experience 10 positive things in your life. You can have people actually walk up and compliment you 10 times. All of which totally contradicts the bad story you've been creating inside of you and disregard all of those good 10 things with a zoom in on one negative. Develop a hyper-focus. And then we overly magnify these negatives. We blow them up in our minds to a size far bigger than the actual event. And then we attach all the other previous negatives in our lives. Like, remember that one in 1994? And remember that one in 2000? And remember that one in 2003? And we take all of those that we had negatives in our lives and we attach it like Lego blocks to the negative so that we conclude, yep, this is just what happens to me. And then we create this compelling story. We convince ourselves is true in our ever-expanding internal narrative. And it's, these are stories that we create about God. Stories that go something like this. Yep, this is just what God always or never does for me. Stories we create about us. Yep, this is what always or never happens for me. Stories we create about life. Yep, this is what always or never happens in my life. And these compelling names that we give ourselves inside and these narratives that we create around them, they are incredibly important because, here's why, they become the viewfinder through which you and I are constantly looking at life to define what we think is reality, whether right or wrong, good or bad. It is your viewfinder. And I don't care how much you've studied the Bible or you've walked with Jesus for however many years you've walked with Jesus. If you have not shined the light of the gospel into your name and your narrative, your name and your narrative is your viewfinder, not scripture. So today we're continuing our study, look again, look closer. And we're looking in the book of John, as my friend Jason just read, we're studying these sign miracles. John calls them sign miracles. And here's what he says about them. I'm quoting John. They are signs through which Jesus revealed his glory, unquote. So these are events that John records in the book of John, but they are events that in John's mind, and he hopes for us as the reader, they reveal something more ultimate than just the event itself the ultimate of who Jesus is and what he's really all about. So make sure you got your thumb there in John chapter 5, verse 1, because we're going to go through the passage and we're going to take a look at it. And John's third sign miracle. Now, we've studied in the last couple of weeks, right? We've studied um, Jesus turning water into wine. Last week, Nick Hart did a great job talking to us about this man's son who was healed. Jesus healed a very sick boy. Today, this third sign miracle, which is pointing to the more ultimate reality that's residing in Jesus and at work through Jesus, is 
dealing and healing with a man who's unable to walk. And John tells us in the passage that this sign, it takes place on the Sabbath and during a festival. Now, that's kind of actually important. It may sound like just background information, but John puts stuff in there for, for a reason. It's important because to John, that backdrop explains sort of the ultimate meaning of what's taking place within the sign that we're going to watch. You see, Israel viewed and celebrated, kind of, in their history, the Sabbath day. They celebrate it as a day of rest from their work and a day of worshiping God to remember that in the end, God's the one who has our backs. God is the one, it's not us working that makes us have a life that's sustainable, that makes us have a life that's good and, and, and gracious. It's God who provides these things. And so we can take a break in order to remember that God is God, he has our backs, and we are his people. And so the Sabbath was this day to practice the fact that God hadn't doomed them to slavery. Slavery to the calendar, slavery to keeping up with the sundial, or in our case, the clock, slavery to keeping up with the crops and keeping up with work. They weren't slaves. It was a day to stop everything and to celebrate we are free image bearers of the God of creation who has our back. So we can take a break. We can take a pause. And it was also a reminder of the ultimate rest that God promised he was going to bring to his people at the end of the age. So every time you celebrate Sabbath, it's a reminder of like, this is just a little, little bit of an hors d'oeuvre, a foretaste of what's to come. Israel also celebrated festivals. There were a number of them that they would celebrate on an annual basis. And each of them highlighted different realities of being people living under the gracious care of God. But collectively, if you put all the festivals together, they were viewed, again, as a foretaste of the final restoration of all things that God promised he was going to bring at the end of the age. Okay, so great, you're good. Way to go, students. You have figured out some of the backstory history of these things. Sabbath and festivals reminded Israel, they were meant to, that God was bigger and stronger and more beautiful than the brokenness in life. And that's why God wanted them to participate in them. Now, holding these concepts in our minds, let's get into John chapter 5 where Jesus arrives at a pool site, and it's a pool site that's right near the Temple Mount, the, the, right there on the top of it, on, the, on Jerusalem. And as we get into it, what I want to do is I want to set it up with a careful look at some of the key elements in the moment, okay? So the first one is, let's take a look at the site where this thing takes place in the passage. Back when the Greek Empire had control over Israel and the city of Jerusalem, and, you know, for some of you who don't care anything about history, you can tune me out for a second. For those of you who do care, uh, Alexander the Great was part of the Greek Empire between the finishing of the Old Testament, or what I like to call the Original Testament, and the beginnings of the writing of the New Testament. Scholars call it the intertestamental period. And in that time, there was a period before Rome came in and took over Israel that the Greek Empire took a hold of it. And when they did, they brought in all their gods and goddesses and all of that, and they arrived at this pool site, and they had named it after the Greek god Asclepius, which is the god of healing. So long ago, that had been what had happened. 
By the time we arrive at this moment in John chapter 5, people had created from that beliefs and superstitions about angels and waters moving and healings. In fact, in some of you in your Bibles, you'll notice, interestingly, there's not a verse 4, and they maybe put it in your footnotes. And here's why, by the way, nobody's hiding anything in your Bible. Um, it, that verse 4, most scholars believe, was not in the earliest manuscripts closest to the time of the event itself in the first century. It was, they were later editions after 400 CE. And so in most of your Bibles in the English translation, your verse 4 is dropped out and it's put in the footnotes, this little description about people's superstitions. But the idea is there were these superstitions. They, they believed strongly enough about angels and the pool and everything that people hung out around the pool hoping that maybe they could jump in and get healed. That's the point. And one guy, this is where we zoom in and focus, had camped for 38 years without ever being healed or, or in any way moving on in his life. I mean, just think about that. 38 years, same spot. He hadn't moved on in any way. So now we come to the second thing I want to focus on. That's the question. Jesus asked the man, <laughs> to me is probably one of the most seemingly obvious no-duh questions in all the scripture. He comes up to the man and he says, do you want to get well? <laughs> I mean, no, yeah, no-duh, right? Do you want to get well? Of course he wanted to get well. Why would Jesus ask a question with such an obvious answer? Jesus was probing. He's good at that. Jesus was probing to the core of the man to find out if he really wanted to be healthy and whole or if he'd actually kind of grown a little bit comfortable with his condition. There's a guy, his name's Finley. I don't know his first name. But he wrote a work on the ancient Near East, its culture, its practices, its rhythms of life. And in a section of his book on the cultures talking about this event, he writes this about the ancient Near East. He says, quote, an Eastern beggar could lose a good living by being cured, unquote. Now, again, I'm not trying to, I don't want to belittle in any way those in every culture and every time who are marginalized and are poor and there are things in the way of their lives that make it difficult. This is just expressing as this is a potential reality for somebody. And Jesus asks him, really, here's what the question is. Do you really want health? Or have you grown comfortable with what this thing is that you've got? Now let's take a look at the man. Now we quickly see the brilliance of Jesus' question. It's actually not a no-duh question. It's a brilliant question. Because look at what the man does. Look at what he reveals. Do you see? Jesus asks a yes or no question. Do you want to get well? Yes or no? The man does not respond with yes or no. What does he respond with? He responds with a well-crafted, 38-year-old victim, I don't think I'll ever be restored, narrative. See if you can see the threads of your own narrative in his. He says... I'm all alone. No one helps me get in the water. Someone always gets there before me. Similar threads to all of our stories. I'm all alone. No one helps me. Everyone's always getting the brass ring before me. 
He lists his excuses rather than his actual hopes. Revealing he had spent so much emotional energy on how bad his life was for so long, 38 years, that he had hardly any will to get better. And in verse 8, if you look in the text, John tells us that Jesus responds to everything that he's seeing in front of him with this man, and he responds with a direct command. He says, get up, which in the original language of the book of John in Greek is the Greek word for resurrection. Rise up. Rise up, pick your mat, and walk. Jesus gives him a command that challenged the will of this deeply formed victim, I'll never be restored, narrative. And here's the thing, by the way, as a side note, if you look at verse 13, it tells us this dude had no idea who Jesus was. That's important because there is a thread within Christian thinking that says Jesus really can only heal those whose faith is great. This guy had no idea who Jesus was. Meaning you may have no faith. You may know nothing about him. And Jesus still can move in power in your life to restore. Jesus supplied all the power over both physical unhealth and the unhealth of the man's will. Jesus was supplying that. And the man surrendered to Jesus' mastery over his life. He surrendered himself to the potential of being called a fool. As he tried to stand up, everybody's going to laugh at him, but he tried. And he stood up, and he discovered that Jesus could deliver him from 38 years of lostness and brokenness. And this is the sign of another ultimate reality that we see in Jesus. And it's happening on a Sabbath, and it's happening during a festival. And here's the sign. That the restorative and renewing kingdom of God is now here. Right? Even now. And it can burst out whether you know anything about it, or you are so convinced of your victim, I'll never be restored narrative, that you struggle to believe anything about it. It can burst forth. That's the kingdom. And then, you know, Jason read on verses 9 through 13, and we read about this, frankly, Saturday Night Live sketch comedy moment with the religious leaders who are ironically not thinking it's okay to heal on the Sabbath because ironically, the day that was supposed to be all about the pure gift of God's restoration and his provision of gracious life, they had turned it into keeping Sabbath as a task that they thought earned them keeping their place in God's blessing, that religious leaders had confused restoration as a payment for God, from God for good works, rather than the surprising unearned gift that God bestows on anyone who would rise up and take it. Here's the thing I want you to hear. And it's an important narrative to get straight in your head. And that is, is that total restoration is the ultimate end with Jesus and his kingdom. No matter what state of brokenness or lostness that you find yourself or victim narrative that you find yourself, this is your true story. That total restoration is the ultimate end with Jesus. The ultimate end of every human life is not intended by God to be the broken internal name that you've given yourself or the narrative that you've created for yourself that this lame man had or any of us have. That is not what God intends. The ultimate end of human life is not intended by God to be the work 
to win or the work to find favor narrative that's in the religious leaders in this passage or in some of you. The ultimate end of every human life is intended by God to be the ultimate Sabbath rest. The ultimate festival of God that John showcases in this third sign miracle. A rest and a festival that very much includes the restoration of your broken name in your head and your broken self-narrative and broken bodies and broken down lives. Through the Son, the risen one, stinking names, stinking narratives, they can be restored in all individuals. You really aren't as doomed and, and trapped as your old name and your old narrative have convinced you you are. You are not. Because Jesus restores minds. And, and he restores the stories that we tell ourselves about our lives. It's what he does. Jesus restores bodies. Sometimes miraculously. Nick spoke to this last week, and I can speak to it in my own experience. I've been with a bunch of pastors praying over somebody that doctors say they can't do anything about it. And then we hear weeks later, it's gone. There's no explanation other than God intervened. Sometimes God restores bodies miraculously. Sometimes he does it through medicine. Sometimes by providing grace that is sufficient to endure. Jesus restored frayed and raw nerves, and you better believe he knows how to restore broken spirit. And through the Son, God's going to achieve the ultimate restoration and the renewal of everything. In the same way, the Sabbath and the festivals reminded Israel, our God is bigger and he is stronger than all of the slaveries and brokennesses of life. John's third sign miracle with this man shows us the dawning of the new age. And it's here now, right now. The reign of the risen one, who, and, and it's, it's here now, and it's available to us now, and it will also arrive in its ultimate form at the end of history, where this same John, he wrote the last book of the Bible, Revelation. And in the book of Revelation, John, from what he saw in, in his vision of heaven, on the throne room of heaven, in one of the last chapters says, Jesus is shouting from the throne, behold, I'm making everything new. Here's where all this goes. Let's try for a second to think both critically and imaginatively about the range of options available to the man who had spent 38 years at his pool of Bethesda poolside. What were the range of options available to him? I mean, think about the range of options that would be available to any normal person if a man you had never met walks up to you, and then just in your brokenness with authority, commands you, rise again, pick up your mat and walk. I mean, he could have ignored Jesus. It's a good possibility. He could have just simply turned away and went on with his little life. He could have asked Jesus for credentials. Where's your badge? If that was a thing trying to figure out why does this person think they have authority over your bad situation? He could have done that. He could have been irritated. 
said to Jesus, who do you think you are telling me what to do? He could have redirected Jesus to be his wingman, redirected Jesus to the task that he wanted done and just said, that's really nice, brother, but brother, just help me get in the water. Let me do this the way that I've been planning to do this for 38 years. Would you just help me do that? Or he could rise up and seize the opportunity. Those are similar range of options for us right now as the kingdom bursts forth in our life. The opportunity to experience Jesus restoring power was received in the same way it's always received by rising up to seize what Jesus was offering to him. It's the exact same things true for us and available to you and available to me right now, right now. Total restoration, it is the ultimate end with Jesus and his kingdom. And what that means for us is that it is time to rise up and seize the restoration that Jesus is offering to you in your specific life, in your specific situation on this day, Mother's Day 2022. Rise up and seize it. Jesus did not agree with this man's stinking thinking name narrative for his life. I'm I'm just going to tell you now, Jesus does not agree with your name, more than likely. He does not agree with the narrative that you had concocted inside of you. Jesus didn't agree with the man's plan or even lift a finger to assist him into the pool for getting better by a swim in the pool. And Jesus more than likely doesn't fully agree with your plan, if not 100% doesn't agree with your plan, or how you're going to deal with your name, make your name feel better to you, how you're going to deal with your narrative and wash away the pain of your narrative, or your body or your relationships. Jesus is approaching you with his authority as the Son of God, and even this morning he is saying, rise up and seize the restoration I'm giving Seize the restoration that's bursting in in your life right now. The restoration from the sin in your life that's dismantling you from the core out. And I have to say, if you have not yet surrendered your life in faith to him, to do that very thing starting today. To say, okay, Yeah, there's something eating me up inside from within. It probably is that thing that you church people talk about. It is sin. I admit that, and I believe that Jesus came to set me free. His kingdom is here. He's offering it to me now. I believe I'm going to say yes, and I want to follow him. I'm pleading with you. Don't let today pass without taking that opportunity. But if you have surrendered your life and faith to him, this is the time. Confess the sin. Surrender your plan to fix your mistakes. Can we just warn you on that one? I know in your sincerity with the sin, you're thinking to yourself, if everybody would just give me enough time and privacy, I'll fix it. No, you won't. It's just going to get worse. I've been there. I've tried that. Confess your sins, and instead of trying to fix it yourself and your privacy, if everybody just gave you enough time, follow Jesus' plans for you and your cleansing. Sees his restoration that's bursting in right now from the name. Anchoring you to the wrong identity. By finally arriving at the place where you really believe, starting maybe even today, that because you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, God has shared with you the same identity as his son Jesus. 
And that I get it, you didn't earn it. That's the whole point. It's a gift. That when he looks at you, he smiles and he adores you, even though you still make mistakes. Why does he smile and look at you and adore you and giving you a new name like his beloved, like his son? Because he's given you a share in his identity. You are like his son when he looks at you. And if you believe it, it'll cleanse you of the name. And to cleanse you from the narrative that's misdirecting your life and begin the process now of rewriting your story. Like, and literally, they're finding this out in, in, in the science of the brain. The more bad your story, you are actually giving yourself organ failure. You're wiring your brain in a bad way. That when you get your story straight with Jesus, you're literally rewiring the neural architecture of your brain to the accurate story of the beauty and the meaning and the purpose that Jesus wants you and I to walk into. By the way, while supplies last, I've been talking about this since September. The elders of this church have committed to you members in this time I've, I've struggled mentally and emotionally that we're going to give the members of this church, we will front load you 400 bucks and, I, and we will help you find a counselor so that this kind of stuff can get addressed. And the kingdom of God is saying, it's here, use it until the end of May while supply lasts. From the brokenness of your body too, deliverance from that. Whatever it is within your body, we enter into the mysteries of God. We don't know in God's goodness how he's going to respond to that. But we, we vulnerably enter into the mysteries of how God might work by humbly asking him for relief and for healing and for grace for your broken body and your spirit. I'm going to invite the guys to come on up to lead us here in some musical worship. And as they get set to do that for us, I've come to believe that um, every day, somehow, in some way, whether it's big or small, Jesus the Restorer is entering into your and my pool of Bethesda where we personally have stalled out. And I'm looking at all faces where somewhere in your life, you're at a pool of Bethesda, you've stalled. And every day, somehow, in some way, I believe Jesus is coming back again and going, do you want to talk today about this? And he's super kind and he's very gentle. But he comes to begin his restoring, further his restoring, or to bring to completion his restoring of us. Here's here's my warning to you. When we continue to react by Remember I said the range of options of how this man could respond to Jesus? If you, if you continue to ignore on a daily basis, you continue to, would you give me some more credentials? Why do you think that this is a great idea, Jesus? If we continue to get irritated by Jesus' whole approach, ah, you're just so irritating. Why are you asking me to do it that way? Or we try to make Jesus our wingman. This is a good one for a lot of us church people. You know? Uh, No, no, just be my wingman. Let me just redirect you to fix my brokenness according to my plans. As long as we keep doing that, we will remain continually formed in a state of brokenness. You keep the pool of Bethesda going. But 
When we seize Jesus' command, Jesus' way forward, and we seize even the uncomfortable step that Jesus calls us to take, it will slowly, more often, but sometimes instantly restore the most broken places of us. And I'm here to tell you, I've got my own story. I'm here to tell you that if God can take average Andy and heal that heart to be a guy who can unequivocally wear the name tag of beloved of God, if I can get the sticker off, If God can do that in my heart and I can actually mean it and I can actually live in it, God can do the same thing for you. Right now, the restorative work of Jesus and his kingdom is somehow available to you. Somehow it is bursting into your experience, within your grasp. And so now is the time, today is the day to rise up and seize whatever form of restoration Jesus is offering to you. And this is true for all of us. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That you are the restorer. You can change our names. You can change our narratives. You can heal our bodies. You can heal our broken lives. And this is who you are. And this is what the kingdom is. Lord, give us the grace we need to rise up as you supply all the power for the rising. Bless your people today as we move into song and to remember what you did for us, Jesus, at the cross. In the name of the risen one, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this production of Faith Community Church in Santa Cruz, California. To visit our complete archive of sermons, to learn more about FCC, or to view our live streaming services, please visit us online at santacruzfaith.org.